You're like, what in the world does Psalm 7 start with? It says, a Shagayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. All right? So what, what is a Shagayon of David? Scholars think that this is a vocal solo filled with intense emotion. And we don't know much about Cush, the Benjaminite, all right? But this is the only reference to him in scriptures. But we can assume that his words that he spoke against David hurt David more than just sticks and stones. And so David was so hurt by the words of Cush that David wrote down some emotional words of his own. And then he sang them to the Lord. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to move in and out of message and singing and message and singing because that's what David does so often. So often he puts his emotions down on paper and he expresses himself musically to the Lord. So the worship team is going to be on stage so at the duration of the day we're going to speak and sing, pray, speak, sing and pray until the end of our time here together. This is what David does. He so often expresses himself musically to the Lord and so that's what we want to do together today. So as we get into this, I'm going to ask us all to stand in reverence for God's word. And we want to read through Psalm 7. The words will be on the screen if you don't have a copy of the scriptures in front of you. I'm just going to go ahead and read it, but you read along silently with me. And then we're going to move into a time of prayer, into a time of singing, and a time of preaching, a time of prayer, a time of singing and preaching on and off until we end our time together. But this is what David says in Psalm 7. He says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it to pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust, say la, stop and pause and think about that. Then he says, arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assemblies of the people be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that's in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and the hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. May God add his blessing to those who read and hear and obey this word. Let's pray together. 
God, as we move in and out of learning um, from your word what it says and from responding in musical worship and praying, I pray that throughout the duration of our gathering here today that we would be able to express ourselves musically to you, just like David did in Psalm 7. A song was never too far away from his lips because there was intense emotion in his heart when he was faced with trouble. And trouble is honestly what we all find ourselves in so often. So God, I pray that we would identify with David here today. And that as we move into times of singing and praying and studying and preaching, those types of things, God, that you would meet with your people and that we would be encouraged by you and what you have said about righteousness and justice and what that means for us, your people, who have been made right because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you'd be encouraged by the encouragement of your people as we sing these truth-filled songs today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing while we sing. And you may be seated. And that is exactly what David says here in the very beginning of this psalm. We just sang it out loud. We sang Hosanna, which means, Son of David, have mercy on me. Would you come and provide salvation? And that's exactly what we see David saying at the beginning of Psalm 7. Look what he says. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me. From all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering or rending it to pieces with none to deliver. So here we go. Yet once again, David finds himself in trouble, and once again, we see that he turns to God. Kids, when you find yourself in trouble, you must turn to God. Right? Parents, when you find yourselves in trouble, you must turn to God. This is what David does. Instead of taking refuge, a false refuge in anything else, he shows that refuge can only be found in God. Refuge is a key word that we see in the Psalms. In fact, we've already seen it a number of times. We saw it in Psalm 2.12 where it said, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So David says those who take refuge in the Son will be categorically blessed. Who wouldn't want to be blessed by the one who rose from the dead and controls all things by the word of his power? If there's anyone who has the clout to bless people, it's Jesus, the Son of God. This last week, we had gotten a little bit back in our devotional reading as a family. We read Bible stories at bedtime, and we had to like read a whole bunch to catch up. Has anyone ever been like behind in their devotional reading? Right? Me too. So we're ripping through a bunch of stories in the New Testament, and this last week at bedtime, I read again about the time when Jesus was sleeping on a cushion peacefully in the stern of a boat while the disciples were like losing their minds because of the wind and the waves that was threatening them in their boat. Remember that one? They woke, they're, they're, they're in a dead panic and they're pulling their hair out and they, they wake Jesus up by saying, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? They're in trouble. 
but they go to Jesus. They're not just a little bit concerned. They're flipping out and they're panicking. Question, has any one of us ever been in that state of mind, flipping out and panicking under much less stressful conditions? Right? Like, I'm just like, okay, your, your ship is going down. That's the perfect time, right? But Jesus says, why, why are you going to panic, right? But we panic under much less stressful conditions with much less on the line. And what happens next? Well, Mark tells us, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And that makes me think, if the one who exercises control over the elements that could cause you to die offers to bless you instead, you need to take him up on that offer. No matter what situation you find yourself in, if we refuse to become panicky because our refuge is in him, even in the midst of the trials, if we return to him in quietness and trust, we will be strengthened to meet the trial. Psalm 2.12 says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. So take refuge in him this week. And we saw the idea of refuge again in David's prayer in Psalm 511. But let all who take refuge in you, what? Rejoice. In the midst of the trial that you need to seek refuge from, he says, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing, always sing for joy. And you spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. This is one of those Bible verses that we recite as a family almost every time we get together and eat a meal. This verse has been strategically picked to be embedded in our minds because it's crystal clear to us that what Jesus said in John 16, is true. He said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation, trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So whether we like it or not, we will face hardships. Even kids, you're going to face hard times in your life. But according to the man who was known as the way, the truth, and the life, we will have tribulation. That word means trouble involved direct suffering. If you live on the planet, you are going to experience trouble that stems from suffering. I don't need to really try to, very hard to try to convince you of that truth. There's a lot of suffering that we experience, but those who take refuge in the Son can rejoice, according to David in Psalm 5. And so we see it already in the Psalms. We see it again here in Psalm 7, 1 and 2. He does what needs to be done repeatedly in our lives, and he says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it to pieces with none to deliver. He turns to God to take refuge in God, to be saved by God. Why? Look. Look at this. Because he's being chased down by people who are against him. He needs to be delivered and the stakes are high. How high? This high. He says, I feel like my pursuers are like lions. Right? Has anyone ever been chased by a lion? Hopefully not. You probably wouldn't live to survive it, right? That seems to be pretty threatening. He says, I feel like my pursuers, those that are against me, are like lions. They not only have the ability to tear my flesh apart, but if they catch me, they're going to tear my very soul apart, is what he says. 
David says, look, I'm being torn from the inside out, and if that's your case, what you need is refuge. And so that's what David does. He goes to God for refuge, and that reminds me of a song that if God is for us, who can ever be against us? So let's go ahead and stand and declare this truth together. And then after the song, we are going to be dismissing the kids for Children's Church. But in the midst of difficulties and hardships, we need to turn to God and remember what God has said, that he is for us. And if that's the case, then who can be against us? All right, and before you're seated, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the kids knowing that our God is for us wherever you go, and we can have that confidence and encouragement of the scriptures that God is for us, so who can be against us? Kids, you're dismissed at this point. The rest of you can have a seat because you're stuck with me for a little bit longer, all right? We're kind of working our way through the text slowly at this point, but we're going to speed things up a little bit now as we enter into this second part of Psalm chapter 7, because David in Psalm chapter 7 verses 1 through 2 goes to God and says, save me, but then he says something incredibly bold in verses 3 through 5. He says, search me. Now that I'm in your hands, will you search me? Because when you place yourself in the hands, and the holy hands of God, and you claim him as your refuge, you better be sure that you have a right to be there. And the only way that you can be in the presence of a holy God is to be blameless yourself or to have somebody else take the blame for you. And that's what we've looked at repeatedly in the last few Psalms. Jesus bore the wrath, and he took our blame for us so that we could be part of God's family. We're, we're all mindful of John 1.12. I love this verse. But to all who did receive him, receive the meritorious work of Jesus on their behalf, to those who did receive him and who believed in his name, what he did, he gave the right to become children of God. You belong in the family. You are my child. You belonged, you deserve to be here, not because of your righteousness, but because of what you believe about me. And we've seen this in the last few Psalms, specifically verses or chapters three through five in particular, where David's enemies have launched a campaign to assassinate David's credibility and his character. They're spreading lies left and right and falsehoods about David. And in this next section, David is going to assert that he is innocent of their charges. He's saying what they're saying is not true. And sometimes when you read verses like this, and you'll see it all throughout the Psalms, when you see the psalmist talking about his blamelessness or his innocence, sometimes we really struggle reading that. Because we're very aware of our own sinfulness. You're like, well, I'm not blameless. I'm not innocent. So I have nothing in common with whoever wrote this, right? And we're also very aware that the scriptures teach that there's no one righteous. It says in Isaiah and Paul quotes it in Romans as well. So when David claims his innocence, we think that he might just be being a little self-inflated and presumptuous. Yeah, right, David. You're not really innocent. You're not really blameless. And we struggle reading this. However, think about this. 
we must realize that in some cases, sometimes people are just against us. Sometimes, in some cases, people are just against us. Sometimes we do nothing to provoke being sinned against. Think about God. God has done nothing to provoke us to sin against him, and yet we do it all the time. And the same thing can happen to us in our lives. Sometimes people are just against us. We're not innocent before God, but before that person who has it out for us, you and I might be innocent. So think about a bully in school, or a bully online, or a boss in a workplace. Sometimes bullies and bosses want to prove their dominance, and you and I just happen to be in the way. And in that sense, the one being bullied or bossed around is innocent. They've done nothing to provoke this. It's just happening to them. And that seems to be what's happening here in David's life. David is saying, look, all I am doing is being obedient to God and his plans for my life to be king. I didn't seek after the kingship. I was called, then anointed into this position by God and then by God's prophet, the man Samuel. And now David is experiencing great opposition people from people who are spreading lies about him, trying to tarnish his character and his reputation and his credibility as a leader, spreading lies about David and trying to take his kingdom from him. And David's like, what have I done to deserve that? Being the dead center of God's plan for his life was all he did. So David, in his mind, he's done nothing but be obedient to what God has called him to sovereignly do and anointed him to do, He thinks he's innocent, and he does like this inner evaluation, and he senses that what they are saying about him really isn't true. But listen, just because he's comfortable with how he is personally responding to those trying to rip him apart, he doesn't trust his own perspective. He goes to God to get God's perspective. That's amazing. This is so good. This is such a model for us Look at what David does next. He says, save me. Now he says, search me. Verses three through five. He says, oh Lord my God, if I have done this, if I have done what these people are saying about me, if, I've do- if I'm really guilty of what they have done, he doesn't trust his own judgment. He says, oh God, if I have done this, if there's wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah, stop and think about that. Basically, David is asking God for God to independently audit him. David doesn't trust his own self-perception or his own feelings. He says, God, I need your perspective. Look at my, if I've done this, then may what they're saying about me and the punishment that I deserve come to me. He doesn't trust his own potentially tainted perspective of himself. He doesn't even trust his own feelings. He opens himself up to the God that he is taking refuge in. And he says, would you search me? And see if what my opponents are saying about me is true. And if, if it is, then let their efforts be successful, not mine. That's bold. That's authentic. That's, 
That's real. That shows you how David really was walking in integrity at this moment. Question is, have you and I ever prayed that prayer? You should. And not just once, but every time you hit a rough patch with people, you say, God, would you search me? Search me. Search me and see if what my opponents are saying about me is true, right? Show me what I have possibly done to contribute to this conflict that I'm currently in. That is a great, bold, faith-filled prayer that some of us need to pray a lot more often. David reasons, if, I, if, I sland, if the slanderous charges that are against me are true, then I deserve to be trampled on in the ground and laid in the dust, right? I deserve that. However, listen, if they aren't true, those false accusations actually become an opportunity for God to defend his servant David. And so that's where David goes next. He says, would you save me? Would you search me? And now he says, God, support me. And we're being funneled to the middle of this psalm, and we'll get there in a moment. But here he says, support me. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. We talked about that anger last week. That was directed at David. But now he's saying, would you arise in your anger, O Lord? Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assemblies of the people be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. David is going to ask God to do what God said he would do. In Psalm 2.5, God said that he would speak to them, meaning the wicked, in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. We've already seen this theme. In the Psalms already, David in this section is going to call on God to be consistent with his own character of being a righteous judge. In Psalm 1-6, David said that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so now in Psalm 7, he says, God, prove it. Prove it. That's bold. And the way that Yahweh can prove his righteousness and his justice is by supporting his servant David and appointing a judgment on those who are not walking in integrity like David had been. So David is asking God to be consistent with his character. He says, God, bless the righteous, judge that which is wicked. And so now that leads us to the very center of this chiastic structure and the very center of the funnel will God actually do this or not? That's the central truth that needs to be funneled deep down into our souls. Will the judge of all the earth actually do that which is right? I think we wrestle with that, right? God, if I was in control, I'd do a thing a lot different, right? You, you, you. So now we've been funneled into the very center of this psalm where David is going to ask us to grapple with that question. Will the God of all the earth do that which is right? 
We find ourselves at the tipping point, the middle point of this psalm where David is going to make a plea and then he is going to make a decisive conclusion. So the plea first in verse 9 and the decisive conclusion, decisive conclusion is in verse 10. He says this, the plea first, Oh, let the, wicked, or let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O oh, righteous God. And then the device, or de- decisive conclusion, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. David is going to basically conclude after all of what he has said and after going to God and asking for him to search him and all those things and support, and would you save me? He says this, the wicked will be ended And the righteous will be established. That's what he wants to funnel deep down into our soul in a very poetic way, in a very emotional way as he's singing this song to God. And he's using literary structure of chiasm to center this into our very being. The wicked will be ended and the righteous will be established. David makes a decisive decision here. He says, God is righteous and he will shield me because he will save the upright in heart. And that's what I am. And for those of us who have had the righteousness of Jesus given to us, we can have that same level of confidence that David had no matter who comes against us. Righteousness will be established God will shield and protect his own and save those who are upright in heart. This is, ama- this is the tipping point of the teeter-totter now. The first half of the psalm is all about David. He says, save me, search me, support me. Then here in the very middle, he declares that God is truly righteous and just. And that means that those who are not acting in integrity will not be saved, nor they will be supported, but they will be searched out. Why? So that they can be struck down and sabotaged. That's why they're going to be searched out. David says, would you save me? Would you search me? Would you support me? God, you are righteous, and because you are righteous, would you search out those who are not righteous, and would you strike them, and would you sabotage them? Whoa. Talk about emotional language. In verses 1 through 8, David says, save me, search me, support me. Now he says, strike them, sabotage them. The focus has shifted in David's mind because David is being defended. When you read these final verses, depending on where you stand in your relationship with God, these verses will either make you shake with fear or they will cause you to sing for joy. Look at what David says in these verses. First, strike them. Verses 11 through 13. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. (laughs) A God who is a righteous judge, who has weapons, 
is a pretty daunting thought that should cause us all to pause and consider where we stand with him. Do you know what it means to wet a sword? It means to sharpen it. If you sharpen a knife or a sword, you do so to make them more efficient for cutting things. David says if we don't repent from our sinning, we deserve to be and are going to be sliced. And God's sharpened sword is not the only weapon at his disposal. He has a bow that is bent and an armed with a flaming arrow ready to be released and deliver a deadly devastation to those who deserve it. Yikes. We have to, we have to grapple with this reality of the righteous, justice-filled God. So David says in these verses, basically, you better repent or otherwise you're going to be struck down. And then he says, you will be sabotaged. Think about this. Look at the futility that's presented in these verses. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and he's pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. That's what's happened to David. But the evil man makes a pit, digging it out, hoping that David would fall into it, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief, the wicked man's mischief, returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. David is saying, look, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't live in a way that the God of righteousness and justice will be justified in punishing. He says, don't do it. Some of you are doing that now. And David is saying, don't. Don't trifle with him. He will punish it. And if you're thinking that you're currently getting away with it and no one sees it, you aren't. The judgment will come back tenfold on your head. This should, once again, cause us all to stop and consider how we're living our lives. This message is for all of us, not just for who we categorically think are God's enemies. This is for us. And David wants us to know, like, are you shaking with fear at this point? Or are you wanting to sing for joy and David, because of the innocence that he had and the integrity that he was walking in, is led to sing. And that's how he ends it. He says, I'm going to praise him. After all that, you're led to sing to him? Why? Because David was innocent. David was blameless. David was walking in integrity. David had righteousness. So he says in this, Psalm 7, 17, I will, talking about what they would do, what they would get, they would be searched out and they would be struck and sabotaged, but he says, I will give to the Lord thanks due his righteousness and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. He wants to give the Lord thanks that is due his righteousness. God is righteous, not us, but thank God that he has shared his righteousness with us. Isn't that amazing? None of us are righteous on our own. In fact, John says this in the New Testament, 1 John 2, 1. My little children, my little, my little children, 
I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He says, don't sin. But if anyone does sin, he knows that we're going to. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You aren't righteous. He was. And he's your advocate. You're the one who's constantly sinning. You're just like a little child. But a child of the king and a child of the father, you've been adopted and brought into his family. And you still struggle. And when you struggle, you have an advocate. You have a big brother named Jesus who is fighting for you. And he is the righteous one. And you are being protected and shielded because you're taking refuge in him, is what it says in Psalm 5. Oh my goodness. Jesus Christ was the only truly righteous one, and he is our advocate, and he has become for us what Paul tells the Corinthians, wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, not in how great and integral you walk, right? But what Jesus has become for you. He has become your righteousness, your sanctification, your redemption. And if that's the case, then we can boast not in ourselves, but in Him. Amen? Amen. And so that's exactly what we want to do with our remaining time. We want to boast in the righteousness and the justice of our God who didn't sweep our sin under some massive cosmic rug of the universe. Instead, our God of righteousness and justice dealt with our sin appropriately by slaying his very own son in our place. And his victory, the victory of the son, has become our victory because we're taking refuge in him. God's wrath and his grace, his love and his justice collided at the cross of Christ. And we have become blessed benefactors of that bludgeoning. And as a result of that, We're supposed to boast, not in who we are, but in who our God is. And so that's why Paul ends this by saying, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so now let's do that. Let's stand as we boast in the righteousness and justice of our God who gave us his very own righteousness by overcoming our sin and overcoming the grave and who rose again and has all authority and then he gives it to his people, the church, So we're going to close out our worship gathering here by singing two songs about his victory and his grace. That's enough for us. Let's stand as we sing. Mm